We are going to look at uh, session six, which is on page 18 in your books, and we are going to be talking about the heart. We've mentioned the heart in every session that we've had so far, uh, but in this session I want to give you a definition of what the heart is and why we are so concerned about it as Christians and leaders in the church. The goal in genuine care is ultimately heart change. We want to see people stop doing sinful things and saying sinful things, but if we just address the behavior and the speech, uh, we are ultimately no better than the secular world out there trying to change people uh, through secular psychology. And so what we want to do as Christians is stand under the authority of the word and God's word clearly tells us that God is concerned ultimately about our hearts. So what is the heart? What does the Bible mean when it says heart? That's what we're going to break down in this lesson. And we're going to be looking as well, if you want to go ahead and put your thumb there on page 64 in appendix number 7, We're going to be looking at the three trees diagram on that page and walking through what that diagram ultimately means. But we see and we have seen over the past two days that the gospel is all about transformation. The gospel is about impacting our lives for godliness. And so if we understand that the gospel always impacts a person's life, then we need to know some basics about knowing how to talk to those people about their life in the gospel. So how should we think about the life issues that humans face on a day-to-day basis. How do you make sense of the details when someone is sharing their heart with you? In that scenario that we just walked through, how do you make sense of all of the information that that church member lays on you in a short period of time? Maybe you're hanging out right after church and you're Uh, Maybe you're getting ready to go to lunch or go back home and take your Sunday afternoon nap. That is absolutely required. Uh, And that person unloads all of that on you right then and there. How do you process through all of that and get to a point where you can help them walk away with gospel hope? In the next few sessions, in this one and our two afternoon sessions, we're going to be uh, thinking about uh, a case study Uh, that we're going to present you in the afternoon uh, that was actually dealt with by one of our pastors back in Jacksonville, a a really, honestly, severe counseling case. And we want to walk with you through how we can make sense of these kinds of scenarios uh, popping up. So here's the situation, how it starts. A wife uh, was dropping her kids off at Sunday school one day, and she looked just utterly distraught. Her face was... Um, you, could, you could see it on her face. She was wearing her heart on her sleeve. And someone asked her, are you okay? How are you doing? And she says, please pray for our marriage. Things are not going well. Very elaborative, right? Uh, what do you do in that situation? In that scenario, when someone gives you uh, those words, how do you start to dig in and go deeper with what's happening in their life? What do you say? You just say, like, you know what, I'll pray for you. Sounds bad. I don't really know what's going on, but I'll, I'll pray for you and pray the Lord will make it better. Or do you just say, like, hey, that sounds rough. I don't know if I can handle that. You should just go talk to the pastor. Uh, you need to go talk to the counselor at the church who does this uh, as their job. Uh, I'm staying out of it. Is that the way that we need to respond as brothers and sisters in Christ who are called to love one another and show genuine care to one another? So if the Bible tells us that we have to dive in with this person, how do we do that? What's the framework for understanding? And I want to present to you today uh, this three trees diagram to help us understand the heart. So if we want to understand humans, uh, we need to understand uh, that our personal problems present us opportunities to change and to transform. Well, what are our personal problems? Well, if you look at this diagram on page 64, you're going to see a sun up at the top. 
you're going to see a couple of trees that have uh, root systems down in a heart, and you're going to see uh, the third tree at the bottom, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's start at the top of the diagram up there with the sun. This is heat. If you want to fill this in in your blank, you could write heat. Uh, when, there, when there's a closed space and the air inside of it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, what's increasing in that closed space? Pressure. So that when the pressures of life are pressing down on you, uh, some other words that you could use for the pressures of life are uh, circumstances or challenges. Uh, maybe someone says they're, they're going through a season right now, uh, situations. Well, what this diagram teaches us is that the pressures of life reveal what is being served or what is ultimately important in a person's heart. Look with me in Matthew chapter 12. This is a, a teaching of Jesus. And Jesus presents to us the way that we need to think about the heart. Matthew chapter 12, verses 30, we're going to start in verse 33 and go through verse 37, but we're going to zoom in on a couple of them. The pressures of life reveal what's going on in our heart, and this is how Jesus explains that to us. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. Now, if you just took that passage at face value, you might read verse 36 and 37 and say, wait a minute, is Jesus teaching works-based salvation? That if I just say all of the right things all the time, then God will let me into heaven? If I never uh, cuss that person out when they cuss me, or cut me off in traffic, then God's going to grant me entrance into his eternal kingdom? And that would be misunderstanding what Jesus is saying back in verses 30. 4 and 35. Jesus is not saying that the actions that you do and the speech that you say is what's going to grant you access into heaven when you die. Jesus is saying that the things that you say out of your mouth start in your heart. The things that you do, the actions you take, the words that you say to other people are always overflowing out of your heart. Verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what this means is that when, has someone ever said something to you that was unkind or rude, or maybe you've done the same thing to somebody and, and you say like, oh, you know what, that, that wasn't me. I know that I said that really awful thing to you, but that, that wasn't me talking. Uh, you know I'm not really that way. Uh, I, I, you know, I take it back. I'm, I, I, that's just not me. The, Jesus is saying here to you, you are not allowed to say that. Jesus is saying, if you said it out of your mouth, it's because it was present in your heart first. And God is concerned with your heart. So if you are judged by the words that you are speaking, it's because God is really judging what's going on in your heart first that causes those unkind things to come out of your mouth, that causes those unkind actions to come out of your hands. And so when we look at the trials and the pressures of life, when that heat is blaring down on you, when you find yourself in difficult situations and circumstances, what comes out? Of your heart? What does that pressure cause to come out of your heart? In verse 33, is it good fruit 
or is it bad fruit? What does this mean? This is a metaphor that Jesus is using, and he's picking up on Jeremiah chapter 17. If you'll flip to Jeremiah chapter 17. Read with me in Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So God is concerned with our hearts. Well, what is the heart? What are the components of the heart that the Bible uh, gives us? If we are to understand this root and fruit dynamic that Jeremiah and Jesus are presenting us, we need to understand what the Bible means when it says your heart. I want you to look there under point B. There's a few bullet points of what the Bible presents to us as the components of the heart. The heart is your inner self. The Bible says that we have an inner self and we have an outer self. That's if you're looking at page 64 in those, uh, that middle box there that has the numbers, one, two, and three, and then there's the line. Above the line, that represents the outer self. That's number one, the outer person. Everything that's above the line that's the outer person is something that somebody else can see. Number two, that, another word that the Bible uses for your outer self is the body or the flesh. Or it says, it's your fruit. Number three, your fruit, which is your behavior or your speech, the things that you do, the things that you say that prove what's going on underneath that line. What's going on in the inner person? Underneath the line, number one, that's your inner person. The other words that the Bible uses for your inner person, number two, is your soul or your spirit or your heart. The Bible uses all of those words interchangeably. And what that really is representing is, number three, the roots, where the root of the tree is. We need to think about ourselves as the tree in this scenario. Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. And what are the really the, the two components of a tree? You've got the fruit that everybody can see, that's growing above the ground, right? You can see the trunk of the tree. You can see its leaves. You can see the fruit that's growing on it. Maybe it's an apple or where we're from. We've got oranges down in Florida. You can see that fruit. That fruit can affect you. You can taste that fruit. And Jesus says sometimes there's good fruit and sometimes there is rotten and bad fruit. But what you can't see are the root systems that are down below the earth. Jesus is saying that root system of the tree is the inner person. It's your heart. Where are you drawing water and nourishment from? So those first points there, what are the components of the heart? Well, the Bible also describes them as our thinking. It describes it as our mind. Hebrews chapter 4 is a paradigmatic passage for this. Hebrews chapter 4 is a wonderful, wonderful verse to memorize. In verse 12... The word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
In our culture today, we like to uh, describe our inner self as really two separate things. You've got people that are like, oh, I know that my brain says no, but my heart says yes. And the Bible is actually teaching us through passages like this that there actually is no separation in our inner self. Humans are a dichotomy. We are an outer person of the body and the things that we do. And we are an inner person of the soul or the spirit or the heart. The, the Bible uses all of those words completely interchangeably. So when you are thinking, you're doing that with your brain, but your mind is a part of your heart. The Bible also in Jeremiah 32 verse 40 describes the heart as where our emotions are. In Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 40 God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear, there's an emotion, the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. So the Bible says that our hearts contain our emotions, the way that we are reacting internally to situations. The Bible also, back in Hebrews chapter 4 that we just looked at, says that the Bible, or that our hearts contain our intentions, the motives, or the yearnings of our heart. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he says that our lusts, or our desires, or our wants, take place in our hearts. He says, every, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. And so what we desire, our will, our intentions, our motives, all of that that's going on inside of us is the heart. And so there's some questions there that help us to diagnose what's going on in our hearts. So you think back to that Sunday, to that lady who comes up to you uh, at church and says, will you please pray for my marriage? I've got something going on in it. How do you help her diagnose what's going on in her heart in those moments? You can ask her questions of like, well, what do you find yourself dwelling on in this situation? What are you thinking about? What causes you fear or anxiety or anger? How do you feel about this situation? What emotions well up within you? What are you hungry for? What are you intending to do in this situation? And I love these two last questions here under lust, desires, and wants. I use these all the time with people. What are you getting that you don't want? And what do you want that you're not getting? And if you can diagnose in a person's life what they want that they're not getting or what's being handed to them that they, ha they don't want any part of, you're going to be well on your way to diagnosing what's going on in their heart. And as we saw, a doctor can't help a patient unless they get the correct diagnosis. And so if we can't diagnose a person's heart correctly, we're not going to be able to give them the correct remedies from the scriptures. But as we saw in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, our hearts are corrupted by sin. When we think about what we want that we're not getting, oftentimes we want something that God doesn't want us to have. That's a lust. Or maybe we are getting something that we don't want. Well, a lot of times what we, what we want is not in line with what God is wanting to give us in that situation in order to sanctify us. There's so many people out there that say, follow your heart, right? If you look at any, if you watch any Disney movie ever, what are they telling those people to do? Follow your heart. Trust your heart. It will lead you into the right direction. We can't follow our hearts. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful. It's sick. It's corrupted by sin. Disney is wrong about that one. And whenever, uh, honestly, we do this with our kids. I've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And if we watch something and it's like, follow your heart, we're like, don't do that. They're wrong. Your heart's sick. You're a sinner. And so what we see really in our hearts is that when we start drilling down into all of these questions, what do you want that you're not getting? What are you getting that you don't want? What are you desiring in these situations? If you drill down far enough, you're going to see that in our corrupt and sinful and sick hearts, that you can trace 
all of these problems back to two sources. Pride and unbelief. Every single sin that a person commits can ultimately be traced back to their own pride and or their own unbelief in God. All counseling, all care can be traced back to those two sources. But we don't want to just make it that simplistic for people. We want to help them to understand, well, if they're not believing in God for their salvation, for their help, for their care, for their comfort, for their provision, then what are they trusting in instead? What idol have they set up in their heart that needs to come down before the Lord? Maybe they've elevated themselves. Maybe that's their pride. So let's look again at the diagram and let's start filling in some of these blanks uh, as we understand this model of the heart. So on page 64, let's break this down. So we've said that there is heat. The sun is always blaring down on uh, the trees, especially in Florida where we come from. The sun is always blaring down on absolutely everything. It's hot. It's, uh, there's no snow, which is wonderful personal preference there, but the sun is always uh, shining down on these trees. You look outside these windows, you see trees here, and what is always pressing down? It's the heat of the sun. And so that very, very top box, your pressures, your trials, your circumstances, your situations, wherever you find yourself in life, those things are always pressing down on you. You are the tree in this scenario. And whatever we sow, we also reap. And so when we sow sinful things, we create in our situations worse circumstances. But when we sow godliness, when, then we will reap godliness in our situations. So if we think about ourselves as a tree, let's look down there at the, at the, on the right side. You see a tree that's dead that is dried up, that is shriveled, that is uh, dying slowly. That is, as Jeremiah chapter 17 said, the shrub that is in the desert. Hear that again, verses 5 and 6. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. You're a tree. Your other church members are trees. When you look at that person, what can you see? You only see the fruit that is evident. Or you might see a lack of fruit in that person's life. And this shrub here that's in the desert that is trying to draw water and nourishment from a heart that is corrupt, that is trusting in man, that's trusting in the things of the world, that heart is cursed. That heart that makes flesh his strength and turns away from the Lord is like a shrub that's in the desert. It's not going to see any good come. Jesus says in Matthew 12 that if that tree can even produce fruit, that fruit is going to be what? Rotten. Terrible. It's going to be shriveled and dried up. It's not going to be good for food. It's not going to be good for anything. In other places, even John the Baptist says that the axe is laid at the, fruit, at the uh, root of the tree. And any tree that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cut down and destroyed. And so what we see in other people's lives is the fruit. You can't see their heart. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. But what we can see in one another's lives is the fruit that's being produced from our hearts. Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so if I look into your life and I see fruit that is shriveled and dried up and dying, then I've got good insight already into the state of your heart. So what are we supposed to do with a shriveled and dried up tree? Well, we have to understand that that tree is trying, trying to draw water from a place where there is no water. It's living in an uninhabited salt land, in parched places in the wilderness. It's a heart that is still corrupted by sin and seeking out nourishment from things that will not 
help it. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, a very famous passage, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, this is the Lord speaking, and hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A tree that doesn't have a source that's welling up beneath the ground, if it doesn't have nourishment coming from the water and the soil, that tree is going to dry out and shrivel up. And when the sun and the pressures of life bear down on it, the fruit that's going to grow out of that tree is going to be rotten and disgusting. And that is the picture that God says is taking place in the sinful heart in our lives. If our heart is still corrupted and mangled by the fall, then whatever we do, no matter how great it looks on the outside, that fruit is ultimately going to be rotten. You can spray paint an apple gold, but if it's rotten on the inside, it's still going to taste terrible. And so we are ultimately, as Paul David Tripp says here, we are living out of our hearts. So all true change has to pass through the heart. Another way you can think about it is, is like a tea bag. So you, maybe you got some tea out there earlier. You get hot water, right? Hot water is pressure. Uh, it's a hard situation. You burn yourself with it. And what happens when you put that tea bag inside of it? All of the tea that's inside of that bag starts to diffuse outward into the water and it fills up the entire cup with that tea. Now, if you love tea and you're like, well, that's a good thing. I want that tea to be out in the water. I'm so sorry because this illustration is like nasty tea, right? If our hearts, if we're putting a tea bag full of dirt into our hot water cup, then what's that water going to taste like? Dirt. But if we put a wonderful bag of Earl Grey in there and it diffuses out, then we're going to have great tasting tea at the end of the day. And that's what's happening as our hearts seek to draw water and nourishment from some source. It can't help but overflow out into our entire lives. And so as we, as we do that, as our hearts seek to draw nourishment from some source and they produce fruit in our lives, our behavior and our speech and our actions, what is taking place? Well, we develop patterns. We develop habits of how we respond to and cope with our lives. That's that sowing and reaping that the Bible talks about. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In our unsaved state, if we are not believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, our heart is telling us to go one direction. And the Bible says that when we listen to that heart, like Disney tells us to, then we are going to end up in death. But there is a hope in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So again, if you have a root system based in a heart of sin, you are going to Produce fruit that is evil. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. That is the paradigm that we have to think about when we are helping someone and when we are caring for someone. When someone is facing suffering or pain or loss or grief. When they find themselves trapped in an addicting sin like pornography or alcohol. When they find themselves trapped in patterns of thinking about people that aren't their spouse and thinking about relationships they want to have with them or becoming angry in their hearts with other people. If we, as we do that more and more and more, the Bible says that out of the abundance of our heart, what's going on inside of us, that is inevitably going to flow out of us. It's going to produce fruit. And so our only hope 
is not that we would be able to get nasty fruit and spray paint it gold and show it to the world in hypocrisy, but that we would get a heart that is fundamentally changed by the power of the gospel, of the Holy Spirit working in our lives through the word of God, through prayer, and through Christian fellowship and care that God provides for us in the church. So as we look at that right side of the diagram, that tree that's shriveled up and dying in the wilderness, that box right under there, what that side represents is our worship of idols. It's trying to draw water from sources that are ultimately never going to give us hope. It's trying to draw our, our hope, our glory, our own power, our own self-exaltation from things that are ultimately empty like money or sex or pride or success in this world. And so how do we take this corrupt heart and make it a good heart that draws water from the fountain of living waters himself, Jesus Christ. Well, we have to move down from that first tree into the next tree, the gospel in all of its implications. This is why we started last night by understanding the gospel. We can't understand the hope of our hearts that are corrupt and broken and sinful unless we have the hope of the gospel that we can point them to first. And so as we see church members, when we see other people in these difficult situations, our hope and our goal is to think through what's going on in their life. You can't see their heart, but what you can see is what's happening in their life. So think back to that scenario that we just went through. When that person says that they're struggling with anger at the person that hit them, when they can't figure out how to forgive them in their heart, when they start lashing out at other people who are driving the same car as that one guy that hit them, that is the fruit that you can see. When they start giving signs to other people in traffic that cut them off because they're scared that person's going to hit them, that is fruit that is growing in their life. When they start yelling in road rage to another person who gets a little bit too close to them, that is fruit that is coming out of a heart that's still corrupt in some way. And so when you see that in their life, you can't just say like, well, hey, look, you just got to stop it. Just stop yelling at people. Just like calm down, like take a deep breath, uh, alter your behavior, uh, just close your mouth. If you tell them to do that, what's happening still? It's still existing inside their heart. And God sees the heart. So we need our hearts to be changed by the gospel. And you're having that conversation with that person. You have to point them not to an altered set of behaviors, an altered set of speech, but you have to point them to the hope and the glory found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't do that, you're only addressing that surface level problem. You're spray painting a rotten apple. So the gospel and all of its implications that God has created us, that we have sinned against God and our hearts are finding its source of life in things that are not the Lord, that Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God and brought us near to him and that we need to respond in repentance and faith. That gospel story is what leads us to the left side of the diagram where we can have a pure and right worship of God in our lives. And when our hearts start to draw water and nourishment from the living waters of Jesus Christ, when that water is pure, when you have a good set of soil and a good good source of water for a tree, what happens to it? It blossoms and flourishes. It bears fruit. It bears the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When we find in our hearts that we are no longer seeking to draw water from a source that is corrupt, but drawing water from the gospel of Jesus Christ welling up and overflowing from within us to outside of us, then what what are we going to find? That our behavior is going to change. That the things that we say to other people is going to change. Not because we changed at the surface level, but because we have fundamentally changed as a person. We are a new creation. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, 
can deliver us. That's the great news, point C there. The gospel makes true heart change possible. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 61. This is the state that we find ourselves in and the call that God gives to us to come to him. In Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus gets up in Luke 4 and reads this passage out loud and says, In me is this passage fulfilled. And it makes a lot of people mad in his day. They try to throw him off a cliff, but he escapes. But Jesus is saying, if you are hurting, if you are suffering, if you are finding yourself in sin, if your heart just keeps trying to draw water from empty, broken cisterns that have no nourishment, if you can't find hope in this world because everything that you're turning to is just leaving you dry, you can find hope in me. And that is what we have to do as church members. That is what we have to do as faithful brothers and sisters to our hurting and, our hurting and sorrowful church members who are facing pain, who are facing suffering, who are trapped in cycles of sin. You can't just tell them the right things to do and the right things to say. You have to help them have their heart fundamentally changed by the Holy Spirit through the power of God's word. The gospel message isn't just a message to believe. It's a person to follow after in the way that we think, the way that we uh, go about uh, expressing ourselves and our desires. Embedded in the gospel is the power to change lives, and it absolutely will. So what are some of these God-given resources for change? This is that bottom left box on page 64. What are some of these God-given resources that the Lord has provided for us in order to see our hearts change at a fundamental level through the power of the gospel? First, he's given us one another. He's given us the church. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, what? One another. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God has given us the church. When we see sinful fruit in the life of someone else in our church, that is an indication of sin still lingering somewhere in their heart. And our job is not to just say, stop doing that sinful thing, though they need to. But if we just tell them to do that, they're only going to replace that behavior with another sinful behavior if their heart has not been pointed to the gospel, if their heart has not been transformed and changed by Jesus Christ. Another resource that God has given us comes from Psalm 119, verse 11. Many of you maybe can quote this passage from memory, but I'm up here and I'm a little nervous, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> it says, I have stored up your word, where? In my heart, that I might not sin against you. When we store up God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, when God's word is living and active within our souls, we will not sin against the Lord. We will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to bear good fruit because we are drawing nourishment from our church body, from the scriptures. And also that third point there, the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 4 Verse 6, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, because you are sons, so this is assuming that you are a believer, God has sent the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, 
Father. When the Holy Spirit indwells your heart, the Holy Spirit will change your heart. The Holy Spirit is God, and as we know about the holiness of God, God is not going to tolerate sin in His presence. And if the Holy Spirit is living in your heart, the Holy Spirit is going to be working day by day through the Scriptures, through church fellowship, through prayer, through other means of grace in order to clear out all of that remaining and indwelling sin in your life. Now, it's not going to be completed in this life. That is for the other side of glory when we are glorified. But the Holy Spirit is going to be active in our lives, continually purging us from sin and idols that we hold within our hearts. And so heart worship, the intentions, the desires, the motives of our hearts are ultimately part of God's plan of salvation. There is no such thing as a person who says, I submit to Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not going to submit to him as Lord. Not simply because that's a, a bad understanding of doctrine of salvation, but because the Holy Spirit is not going to let that happen. If someone has truly repented of their sins and put their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will indwell them and he cannot help but to change that person. And so what we see when we look at other church members is if that wicked and sinful fruit is still there day after day after day and there is no evidence of change, then what we have to start thinking is maybe there's something going on in the heart and maybe they have not truly understood the gospel and all of its implications for their life. That's why we diagnose people from the gospel. When we looked at that scenario early, they have a problem with forgiving that driver who sinned against them. And so what they misunderstand is that Jesus Christ has offered them forgiveness freely through his death and resurrection. When we look at the world today and the LGBTQ community is rejecting that God is their creator, they are misunderstanding the gospel that God has made them and has set the terms for the way that they are to live and the way that they are to go about sex and marriage. No matter what, we can always trace people's understand, misunderstanding and misapplication back to the gospel. And so the gospel is the ultimate source of nourishment. It's the ultimate source of living life and water that we can give to people. And when we give them the gospel, when we help them to see how Jesus Christ through the scriptures can change their life, that is when and only when we will see true and lasting change in someone's life. Radical behavior change is possible because of the gospel. The world is only concerned with the external. If you go to a psychologist, you go to certain therapists, all they care about is changing your behavior. If you're struggling maybe with alcohol and you go and you seek help there, they just want you to stop drinking. They don't care if your heart is still corrupt due to sin. They are spray painting apples gold. God is concerned about your heart. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to take your heart of stone, as Ezekiel says, and rip that out of you entirely and put within you a heart of flesh, a heart that is alive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so what we see is that radical change is possible because of the gospel. Look at Galatians 5.16-25. This is such a wonderful passage. Paul lays this out so clearly and elegantly. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. How are they evident? The things that you can see in someone else's life. Every single one of these you can see take place physically or through their speech in their life. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry. You can see that by the way that people worship money in their jobs or they chase after success and step on other people's heads to climb up the ladder of success. Sorcery, enmity, strife, causing contentions within the church, jealousy, fits of anger. Violence comes from anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why are they not inheriting the kingdom of God? It's not because they're just doing these sinful things, but it's because they have a heart that has turned away from the Lord, like Jeremiah 17 reminds us. And because their heart has turned away from the Lord, their heart is producing wicked and corrupt fruit in their lives. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What a wonderful passage that Paul has given to us. He lays this paradigm out so clearly and elegantly that our hearts are what God cares about because our hearts produce the fruit in our life. You can't just change the fruit. You have to change the heart. Because at the end of the day, there's still heat. That sun is still blaring down on everybody. And you have two ways to respond to that heat. You can either try to draw your water and nourishment from a broken cistern that holds no water. You can try and draw that from sinful desires. You can try and draw that from chasing idols. Or you can try and draw your nourishment from the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ. And he says that when you come to him, you will never thirst again. And so what we see is that the heat and the circumstances of life may never change. But how we respond to them, where we seek to draw our nourishment from, can be radically altered by the grace of God as we learn to worship God alone. Our hearts Tell us who we are worshiping. Are we worshiping God or are we worshiping the things of this world? I know there it says in point two that we are going to talk about the pyramid of care, but we're actually going to save that to our last session today as we are uh, running out of time here. But what I want to leave you with is this. Turn to uh, page number 65. It's right beside the three trees diagram if you've got it open. This is uh, Appendix 8, and it's drawing out the purposes of the heart. And what I want you to do as we go to lunch today, uh, go with a pair, uh, go with someone else. If you want to go with a group, that's great. I would encourage you to keep it very small. Honestly, a pair is ideal. But what these questions here are, these are from um, the Journal of Biblical Counseling from like 20 years ago, and they've stood the test of time. These are questions that will help you diagnose your own heart. These are questions that help you to see what are the fruit that you are producing in your life. When what these, situ- what these questions do is present you with different forms of heat, different forms of pressure. Number one, when do you tend to experience fear, worry, or anxiety? What is the situation, what is the the sunshine that's blaring down on you that causes you to experience fear, worry, or anxiety? How do you respond to those situations? Where is your heart drawing nourishment from in order to not respond with fear or worry or anxiety, but to respond with trust in the sovereign Lord? So what I want you to do as we go to lunch, uh, we're going to get done just a couple minutes early so you can take a break and get going. But we're going to head out, and I want you uh, in your uh, group or as with your pair to work through these heart questions together. Help one another diagnose where your heart may be drawing nourishment from an empty and broken cistern and how you can turn your heart through the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit back to trusting in Jesus Christ 
uh, in the fountain of living waters. So that's what we're going to do at lunch. We're going to meet back in here at 1 o'clock, and we're going to just start our session uh, right around 1 o'clock. So you've got about an hour and 10 minutes to uh, pack up and head out, grab some lunch somewhere, but take someone with you and talk through uh, page 65. Take your books with you and pray together that the Lord would help you to see where you're producing bad fruit and where your heart needs to change. So let me pray that over you now as you get ready to go. Father, I want to pray for this group of people who have committed a long Saturday to coming here uh, to Gateway Church to hear about how we can care for one another. But Father, we can't care for one another unless we can diagnose the problems in one another's lives Uh, accurately. Lord, we thank you that in your word you have provided us the model by which we can understand what is going wrong in someone else's heart. Father, I pray that as we examine the fruit that we are producing through our behaviors and our speech and our actions, uh, Lord, that we would be able to not just stay at that surface level, but go down deeper, that we would dig below the surface and expose the roots and find where we are seeking to draw water out of broken cisterns. Father, that we would not do that any longer, but Lord, that the gospel would transform our hearts, that we would begin to seek to draw water and nourishment from Jesus Christ, from the gospel of his death and his resurrection, from your word, and that the Holy Spirit would work powerfully and mightily in our lives as we seek to worship you and you alone, that we would turn from idols and turn to the living and true God. I pray that you would give each and every person here great clarity as they speak with one another, that this even now would be a moment of great comfort and genuine care that gets to be shown to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would bless the food as we eat it, help it to nourish us so we can continue to carry out your will. We pray that you would bless those who have prepared the food for us and give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with them as well. And we pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.